Welcome to the New Books Network. Italy has just held an election in which it appears that a far-right candidate from a post-fascist party has won and whose leader will become the next prime minister of the country. What's happening in Italy? What, what does this election tell us about wider developments in Europe today? Welcome to International Horizons, a podcast of the Ralph Bunch Institute for International Studies that brings scholarly and diplomatic expertise to bear on our understanding of a wide range of international issues. My name is John Torpy, and I'm director of the Ralph Bunch Institute at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. We're fortunate to have with us today Andrea Mamone, a historian of Italy and of the European far right, who teaches at La Sapienza University in Rome. Mamone previously taught at the University of London has been a visiting scholar at the University of Pennsylvania and at the European University Institute in Florence. He has published a number of books on post-war and contemporary European far-right parties, fascism, xenophobia, memory, and Italy, including transnational neo-fascism in France and Italy in 2015, and a book called Italy Today, The Sick Man of Europe in 2010 with uh, Giuseppe Veltri. He will soon publish a book on Southern Italy and is currently writing about the return of nationalism in Europe. He's also written for numerous newspapers and periodicals, including the New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, Al Jazeera, Corriere della Sera, and CNN. Thanks for joining us today, Andrea Mamone. Although we will not know for sure for some time, it appears on the day after the Italian uh, parliamentary elections that the far-right brothers of Italy and their leader, the woman, uh, ironically, Georgia Meloni, have won enough votes, it seems, to form the next government. This would be a breakthrough in two respects. The first so-called post-fascist party and the first woman would take power in Italy. Can you tell us, Andrea, uh, about the Brothers of Italy and what makes them post-fascist? I used to call them neo-fascist in the sense that, you know, like uh, I I use post-fascism in the sense that everything happening after uh, the fall of fascism in 1945. But I think that, you know, they are actually from a specific neo-fascist tradition. So first thing is that they are a far-right party. Even if in Italy, not everyone is considering them a far-right party. But they are a far-right party because they share you know, similar themes as, the, the, as Le Pen and other people across Europe, not just Europe today. But they are also a neo-fascist party, and, then, and then trying, I will be trying to explain why. So neo-fascism developed in Italy in 1946, when after the fall of fascism, there were a bunch of former fascists, still fascists, I mean, uh, that yeah, didn't want to give up. So they wanted to rebuild a sort of political movement. And in 1946, they built this very teeny, at the time, party called the Italian Social Movement. Well, this party ended up being a presence in Italian parliament 
and the largest far-right party in post-war Europe, up until, let's say, the mid-80s, when Jean-Marie Le Pen in France led the, the, the Front National to the first electoral successes. So this party was neo-fascist because it was made by people who were actually uh, fascists. I mean, many of them were coming from the fascist experience directly. And so they, they, they kept this sort of neo-fascist ideology, so ultranationalism, uh, Catholicism, anti-communism, and so on, all over the years. In the at some point, when Berlusconi get into politics, this party shifted becoming national alliance. This national alliance at some point merged with Silvio Berlusconi and disappeared. What happened? is that at some point with the crisis of Silvio Berlusconi, I mean, Berlusconi is not the same Berlusconi as it was in the past, some, some of these people who were in the Italian social movement, the later in the, in the National Alliance, left Berlusconi's new container, and they created Brothers of Italy. So even if Brothers of Italy today is claiming that they have nothing to do with fascism, they have nothing to do with neo-fascism but I mean this is not true this is not real it's not real because as I said they are coming directly from this tradition almost all the major uh, activists and leaders are coming from that specific parties of the past they use the same uh, symbol the flame the famous flame that is, is, is still in their symbol and that flame is not as as Meloni said in a in an interview with the New York Times uh, some a week ago or something about that, that that yeah she said it has nothing to do with fascism. In reality, it has to do with fascism because that specific symbol for activists of the time was symbolizing fascism and or Mussolini and their ideas burning for the eternity. Moreover, the name of the, 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 the neo-fascist party, the Italian Social Movement, so the initial are MSI, for some militants meant Mussolini say immortale. Mussolini, you are immortal. So uh, the party, Brothers of Italy, always claimed to be in line with this tradition, and it is a neo-fascist tradition, so, in my view, they are 100% neo-fascist, even if they are trying to claim that they are something completely different. Got it. So, um, but, but, you know, what does that mean today? I mean, other than feeling some kind of, whatever, sentimental attachment to Mussolini, um, you know, a lot of people seem to be suggesting that Meloni's advantage in this election was simply that she wasn't a part of the prior governing coalition or, or governing group that fell apart uh, in the summer under uh, uh, Mr. Conte. And um, uh, or under Mr. Draghi, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, so, you know, to some degree, it's been described as a, a situation where she simply has clean hands, so to speak, and isn't tainted by having been in the government before and people like that. Uh, I mean, 
So are you saying that, you know, there's a significant element of the Italian population that still feels this kind of whatever soft spot for Mussolini and, and fascism of the 1920s and 30s? No, honestly, I don't think that, you know, people are so nostalgic of, of the good old gold times of fascism. I think that, you know, this, this, this election is, is telling us two things. The first thing is that, in truth, many, Italian, many Italians don't take care about fascism, in, not in a positive way, in a negative way, in the sense that they believe that fascism is not or was not so terrible anymore. So the vote for Meloni is also something that has a lot to do with public memory in Italy, with a legitimization of fascism happening over the year, and especially since the beginning of Berlusconi's uh, political enterprise. So fascism has been twisted in some way. The memory of fascism has been twisted. The second thing that this election is telling us, in my view, is that, uh, well, essentially, Meloni got tons of votes. But if we look at the number of people voting or the number of people that should have voted in Italy is about 50 million. Her party took 7 million. All the other parties took a share of it. Uh, turnout was not so great, at least for Italian and European standards. So below 70%. I think that it was something like 9 point less compared to the other elections. So we are talking about millions of Italians not voting. So even if Meloni, I mean, if we look at it, it took millions of votes. But I mean, this is not something that is so surprising in the sense that uh, Meloni and their party uh, have always been, always been in coalition with Silvio Berlusconi. Uh, Silvio Berlusconi's coalition were gaining even more votes than this. So I suspect that what is happening in Italy is that votes that were previously going to Silvio Berlusconi, now they are going to Meloni. And for a short period of time, I mean 2018 previous election and 2019 European elections, they went to the league when Salvini seems to be, you know, the unstoppable far-right-wing guy uh, everything he was touching was becoming gold. And then his, 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 his you know, uh, surveys and votes are telling that, you know, he's down, completely down. On the other end, Brothers of Italy started very slowly, you know, not many votes, being the very, very junior partner of a coalition, and they are going up. And we see that at the same time, Silvio's Berlusconi's votes are going down. But many of the let's say, right-wing voters are not voting for another party outside of this right-wing coalition. They are voting for the other politician within the same coalition. So Berlusconi is losing votes because, of course, he's old. He is a matter of age. He has not the same risk. He has not the same appeal that he had in the past. He has a language which was perfect for, me, for Italy in the, in the 90s, where everyone was watching television. He's unable to talk with young people. If you look at his TikTok videos, they are terrible in many ways, quite paternalistic. You know, it looked like the old uncle, the old, the old uh, grandfather telling stories, which you know, no one would believe. 
So Berlusconi is losing those a number of votes. But, you know, rather than being attracted by the center-left or some centrist parties, some of these people, I suspect, they are voting for Meloni. So fundamentally, the bulk of votes are the same. The difference is that, you know, this time they're not voting for Berlusconi, that, you know, uh, peculiar deeds are character in many ways. They are voting for someone who is overtly, in my view, neo-fascist, there are people within the party doing fascist salutes and so on. But, you know, the explanation that I have is that, what I said before, the changes in public memory in Italy referring to interwar fascism. Right. And my understanding is that uh, the uh, right benefited from advantages built into the political system of you know, allying with uh, other parties, whereas the left sort of was at odds with itself. I mean, that they failed to sort of uh, present a coalition at the election and that that makes a big difference in terms of who actually wins, wins these elections. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, Italy had historically in the past, let's say up until the 90s, a proportional system now it is a mixed system, some of majority, some proportional, so it's pretty complex to get and understand a full understanding of it. Uh, what happened since the 90s is that you had two different blocks competing for the first time in Italian post-war history. So it was clear who was winning the election immediately after, for example, Berlusconi or Romano Prodi, the former president of the, of the European Commission who ran against Berlusconi and won twice. In the, last, in the last two elections, things were much more fragmented because there was the five-star movement who was outside of this frame. And in this specific election yesterday, there was also another coalition, the so-called Terzo Polo, the third pole. So some of these, let's say, uh, non-right-wing coalitions, they were not necessarily taking the votes from the former Berlusconi's bloc, now Meloni's bloc. They were fundamentally competing for the center, center center-left, leftist votes. So rather than having a single coalition that probably... Well, we are not sure if they were voting because, I mean, it's very easy to say, okay, 25 plus uh, 14 and we are close to the center-right winning the election. But certainly they would have challenged the the center-right alone. And I think that, you know, what the left in Italy forgot in this election specifically is that Silvio Berlusconi's coalition and this right-wing bloc always, almost always run together in coalition, historically. So they, I think that, you know, they were thinking maybe they were a quarreling uh, group or that, you know, they might last not, not too, 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 too long. But certainly, you know, if, if with this specific electoral law, which is a mixture of uh, majority, majoritarian uh, issues plus some proportional counting, which is extremely complex for the two chambers, you need coalition to eventually win. 
because you know when there is the majority in some cases you need to get one more one vote more than the other and what happened in this election is that the center left has been almost unable to gain any 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 seat when it was you know challenging directly the the other competitors and in the south for example is the five star movements who gain some votes in some regions so it has been a tremendous failure of the of the center uh, center left symbolized by the, the the democratic party and i'm pretty sure that you know there will be some changes in the near future in the leadership even if i don't even believe that the leadership is the problem i think that you know uh, this party is the problem itself because it is unclear if they want to be more centrist or sometimes more social democratic in a sense and they have been able to build solid coalitions over the years right so the um, story seems to be that um, Meloni was very concerned because she was already sort of coming from the far right. There was a lot of concern around Europe about what position she might take as the likely winners, you know, the sort of expected winner of this uh, of this election. Um, you know, she made she took great pains to sort of stress her support for Ukraine in the war with uh, Russia, whereas other parties on the right have tended to be relatively pro-Russian. So can you tell us about, you know, what that all may mean for the future stance of Italy? I mean, there's obviously a lot of concern about the you know, weakening of the European sort of resistance to, uh, to Russia. And uh, her position in that sense does seem kind of odd frankly, for a far-right politician. In yeah, I have to say that, you know, I have to say two things to answer your question. The first one, in my view, is that, you know, is that uh, Giorgio Meloni is, 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 is clever in many ways. She's not like some other, let's say, demagogic populist politicians that, you know, they try to change things, so they, they try to change their minds, their ideas, their propaganda, you know, from the day to the night and the, the, the morning after is, is completely different. I think that, you know, she talked well about what to do when Russia invaded Ukraine. And she realized immediately that if she would have had one opportunity to, 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 to run Italy, considering that almost all the international frame was supporting Ukraine, she couldn't side with Russia because she was already aware that the majority of Sarbis in Italy were saying that she was ahead or she could win an election. So in my view, she has been extremely clever in this sense. And she got that specific line. So if she will be able to keep that line, it's very hard to say. It's very hard to say because, you know, fundamentally the European far right is is divided in on on Russia on what to do with Russia. Even grassroots movements I'm seeing in Italy, but also in other countries, some of them are supporting Ukraine, others are supporting uh, Russia. Some are, are supporting Ukraine because they think that you know they are the nationalists defending uh, their land against an invasion and because of the acts of uh, group in Ukraine. Others are siding with Putin because they see him as a sort of ultranationalist leader. So there are 
already division within the far right uh, at large, let's say. So, but in her coalition, uh, Silvio Berlusconi is uh, historically, historically a friend of Putin. Berlusconi, what he said, you know, uh, since the beginning of, of the of the of the U- of Ukraine uh, of the war in Ukraine, he said that you know he tried to contact he tried to contact Putin. Putin is not, was not replying. He said that you know it wasn't, and that was the the, the the line in his party that you know Putin is not the same Putin that they used to know. But uh, two days ago, Berlusconi said you know in an interview, well, it, he's trying now to reshape. The, the statement, but he basically said that, you know, Putin was trying to, to w- w- did this war because he wanted to, to put some decent people in, uh, in the Ukrainian capital. Uh, Salvini is supporting Russia, even if not openly, but, you know, we all know him, we all know what he did, we, all, we, we are aware that, you know, he has, he has strong links and he has a partnership with Putin's party. So I think that that will be a very huge challenge internationally, in terms of international politics. The second challenge in terms of international politics may be with the United States, in the sense that if things are like, let's let's put it this way, if she will support Russia, uh, sorry, if she will support Ukraine, so NATO and the, and the, and the transatlantic bloc, I don't think that she will have problems. But, you know, if she starts changing her mind, it can be problematic because she has no friends in the U.S. Aside of people like Bannon and aside of people like the ultra-conservatives within the Republican Party, she has no real links with the Democratic administration running today the U.S. So that can be problematic. And the third point in international politics that we should consider is the relationship with the European Union. Now, she's one. Of, she's she's eurosceptic, even if she's trying to say that it's different. Uh, that now she has changed something. That we don't want to be out of the European Union. I think that the majority of far right parties in Europe today are not pushing their countries to be outside of the European Union because they are well aware of what Brexit means, and also they're well aware that the majority of the electorate doesn't want to go. Don't want to go out. But uh, she has some very strong opinion in terms of, you know, like power, in terms of borders, in terms of immigration. She needs the money coming from the European Union for the recovery fund for the COVID, for the emergency. So that is another, that is another problematic ground for her because she has to keep the money coming in Italy and on the other hand, she has to do something in terms of immigration and in terms of you know defending Italy, defending this famous Italian identity. Yesterday she did a very short speech. Now while we talk, she's she's having the first uh, the first uh, post-election speech. Yesterday she had a sort of you know mini speech just to say hello, thank you very much. And uh, I mean, there was a, just a, a little sentence that has, has, has not surprised me, but you know, kept my attention when she said, uh, "We will not betray Italy." So I mean, there is this nationalistic 
uh, approach. And then a nationalistic approach might clash with eventually with the international sphere at some point. Interesting. So, I mean, this raises the immigration uh, problem. And I mean, as you may know, uh, or may not, uh, I, you know, the first writing I ever did on Italy was about the Lega Nord in the early 1990s. And it was a, you know, anti-immigrant, but also very much an anti-Rome and anti-Southern Italy kind of organization. Uh, and now somehow it's morphed into being this kind of nationalist uh, party. The the Nord is gone from the name, and it's just the Lega. Uh, but it's a far, you know, fairly far right party, and you know, with a signature issue is still immigration. So, I mean, could you talk about the nature of the problem there? How large an illegal, you know, immigrant population is there in Italy? What what are they, you know? What are they talking about when they say there's an immigration problem? Well, this is, I mean, my, 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 my belief is that this is mostly propaganda in the sense that today immigration is probably the last problem in Italy because as many other countries, uh, you know, in the last two years, huge problems have been the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, and now the outcome of the war in Ukraine. So prices are going up for things like bread, uh, energy, uh, fuel, and so petrol, and all this stuff that we all, let's say, almost all Western countries are suffering right now. So immigration is not really the problem in Italy. But these parties have been have been mobilizing some of the some of the electorate, showing that you know eventually immigration is a problem. For example, during the, the, the COVID, what Meloni and Salvini were saying was like, you know, Italian cannot get out. There is a lockdown. Italians have to stay home and there is COVID, but migrants are coming from the sea and they are spreading, uh, spreading COVID in Italy. So, you know, always blaming, blaming someone. And it's very easy to blame immigrants because, I mean, migrants are coming from nowhere. Often they are poor, they are searching for a job. And all the story that we have, you know, from today we have from India to, to, to the United States. So the same propaganda, the same rhetoric. In my view, this will clash at some point with the real interests of Italians, which are, you know, what to do with, with the, 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 the prices, the cost of living because of war, in Ukraine. So can you blame can you blame immigrants? I don't know. I mean it will be hard for them to blame immigrants. So at some point they need to blame someone else. And if you know I wonder if Salvini and Berlusconi will start saying, well, economic sanctions uh, against Russia are not working. So I mean uh, this immigration has been useful for a share of their electorate. But I don't think that it is the major problem that Italians will consider in the coming months. I'm not talking about, you know, like in one year, but in the coming months, we will be paying, uh, you know, huge bills for our gas and for the electricity. And all parties during the electoral campaign try to say the Italian state, the government has to put money because we need a cap, because we don't need to spend, or Italians cannot spend all this money, the double is too much money. It is a problem. 
So you cannot blame immigrants for that. And I think it, there, that can be you know, a major issue for Meloni and also with some eventual, with some implication in terms of international politics. Right. So uh, back to Georgia Meloni uh, and the fact that she is obviously a woman. Uh, and I'm sort of curious what you make of the significance of that, uh, the fact that she's going to be the first female prime minister. I mean, we've had uh, several of them now in the UK, a long serving one in Germany, but hasn't happened in Italy, hasn't happened in France. Uh, I mean, or Spain, as far as I can recall. So is there a pattern there or what do you make of the significance of this? No, I think that this is part of simply of a modernization. I mean, if we talk about leadership of our of a far right party, that's his bizarre itself, in the sense that you know traditionally these are the party of men, the party of strength, even the party of violence in the past. So it was, you know, related to masculinity in many ways. But I think that you know there has been there has there have been changes because simply Simply, you know, things are changing. There is a modernization. There are lots of women joining these parties. There are, there are people like uh, Marine Le Pen. Uh, and, 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 and before, in Italy, before, before uh, Meloni, there was Alessandra Mussolini, the grand nephew of the granddaughter of Benito Mussolini. She founded a little teen party and then she also joined Silvio Berlusconi's party at some point for many years. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, also in the, in the U.S., even if probably not uh, with women leading, but Palin for a period was considered a sort of, you know, strong, hard-right leader. So I think that, you know, there are general changes. The fact that uh, Meloni will become the first female leader in Italy is a huge paradox. It's really a huge paradox. But, you know, once more, in my view, this is telling us more on the failure of the center-left, who claims, claim, which claims to be progressive, very modern, and so on, and usually is unable to give power to, to women, at least in Italy. But in my view, the, 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 let's say the biggest, the major paradox is that, you know, Meloni uh, will gain power in Italy in the centenary of the march on Rome, which in many ways pushed Mussolini to power. So, I mean, this is, you know, there are two huge paradoxes in Italy. The first female and also in the year that, that, that you know, the march on Rome. So this is, you know, can be a very, a very terrible uh, mixture in many ways. And, you know, I, it, uh, I don't know, it's, it's very, honestly, uh, I think that, you know, this, this government can really last for, for one year only because there might be lots of international pressure. Berlusconi might be unhappy to be the junior partner and so on. But on the other hand, I'm not 100% sure that this will be a moderate government because they are scared of these international forces. So I think that, you know, things are slightly unpredictable in my view. Interesting. I mean, it occurs to me that all of these women that I referred to uh, in Germany, in the UK, uh, and now in Italy have been from the right. 
and to some degree from the fairly hard right, you know, Maggie Thatcher. Uh, so maybe it's something like, uh, you know, Nixon going to China, right? Only the right can do that because the left would be seen as soft on communism and things like that. So uh, interesting question about, you know, why this is happening in Italy now. But, but uh, as far as the international sort of implications of this, uh, as you were starting to kind of get into, um, you know, is there a kind of message here for what's going on in the rest of Europe. I mean, the sort of return of nationalism, but that's, you know, not exactly new. The return of populism, obviously. I mean, she, she is said to be a nationalist, but not a populist, uh, whereas Matteo Salvini is a populist. Uh, but maybe you could talk a, a little bit about what you think this, you know, tells us about what's going on in Europe more broadly. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, this is... This is uh... In a, in a larger trend, this is not something new. I mean, I think that the Italian election can be explained in many ways. On the one end, as a sort of international trend from Trump to, well, before even before Trump, but let's say from Trump to, just to talk about the most recent years, from Trump to the enduring uh, appeal of Orban to, you know, the Swedish Democrats becoming the second party, to AfD in Germany becoming a major force, and so on. So these movements are gaining are gaining a sort of momentum every, everywhere for a number of common reasons, which is, you know, the crisis of traditional party, a sort of, you know, ultra-populist style, but also, but also communication in terms of fake news, and so and so. So, you know, there are a number of problems, uh, unemployment, uh, fear of losing identity, globalization. So there are tons of factors that are, you know, common in, in a number of Western countries. On the other end, you know, I wouldn't be scared that this is, this is uh, influencing uh, another European country. Because as I said, the election was very Italian in a sense. If the, if the failure of, of the center-left can be, of course, something that you can see in other European countries, but here we are talking about, you know, like 40% or so of Italians deciding not to vote. We are talking about uh, 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 someone who has been taking the votes of one of her allies. So, I mean, this is something that you can hardly replicate in another country in the same way. Plus, there won't be too many elections immediately. There, will, there won't be elections in France, in Austria, in Germany, in Spain immediately, probably even in Britain. So I don't think that you know, this will spread the malaise, let's say, across Europe. But what is this, is, is this telling us is that you know, certainly this type of movements have appeal and they have more appeal because they've been legitimized. And in my view, they've been legitimized also by the mainstream. And for the mainstream, I'm not saying uh, by only the national mainstream, but also by the, the international politics. If we look at the European Union, we have seen that the president of the European Commission saying something before the Italian election, saying, well, we had all tools eventually if Italy is shifting towards the anger side, let's say. Well, 
firstly, probably this was a comment not to do before an election because has been immediately used by the right-wing party to say, look at what the European Union is saying. They want to stop us. This is not democracy. Second point, well, this is, I mean, if they have the tools, why have not they used it against Hungary years ago? Why the political group leading the European Union, I'm talking about the Europe's People Party, why they had Orban among their ranks for years without pushing him out. So they had they had an anti-democratic leader within a mainstream moderate party. And now they were supporting Silvio Berlusconi in Italy. I mean, how can you support Silvio Berlusconi in Italy? The second time they're supporting Silvio Berlusconi, because also in the previous election, they were believing that Silvio Berlusconi was someone stopping the wave of populism in Italy, which is ridiculous to itself, because Berlusconi is a, is a, is a, is a, a master of populism. And, but on the other end, you know, like, uh, I mean, Berlusconi is with forces who are Eurosceptic, who are challenging some of the European Union. So, I mean, I think that, you know, there are things to clarify within the European Union itself, but they are legitimizing some of these forces. So I think that, you know, the problem is wider than a single country. But this is telling us that there are common trends. That's 100% sure. Okay, an important lesson to learn from the Italian election, that this is legitimating people from the far right that are also coming along in other countries. Obviously, we've seen this in the United States as well. But that's it for today's episode. I want to thank Andrea Mammone of La Sapienza University in Rome for sharing his insights about the recent election in Italy. Look for us on the New Books Network and remember to subscribe and rate International Horizons on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Osvaldo Mena Aguilar for his technical assistance, as well as to acknowledge Duncan McKay for sharing his song, International Horizons, as the theme music for the show. This is John Torpy saying thanks for joining us, and we look forward to having you with us for the next episode of International Horizons. Mm-hmm.